Thanks for tuning in to the Voyage Church Podcast. Our desire is that today's message will be significant for all of us on the voyage of becoming. everybody doing? Awesome, awesome. Well, hey, um, this is our fourth and final week of our series, March Madness. Don't worry, if you haven't been here any of the weeks, um, you can go back and listen to the podcast, but it's not like you had to heard. You didn't have to watch episode one to, for episode four to make sense, got me? Um, and so this will th- hit everybody and touch everyone, but I'm really excited. A few announcements for today, because as we are eight weeks in as a church, we launched um, eight weeks ago, which is crazy. Um, try, try not to get too spiritual on you, but the number eight in the Bible is the number of new beginnings. And so, anyways, today we just decided, hey, let's do something fun to celebrate. And so as you leave service, we ask that you won't leave the grounds. Because I'll tell you, as a new pastor, like lead pastor, I've never been a lead pastor before. I've always hung out with teenagers. Number one, adults, you guys scare me. Um, number two, you guys be booking out of service real quick. Like, I just try to make it to the front door. There's like a little, and y'all gone, like 25 people in cars. Let's see you next week, maybe. Um, so we decided, look, we're going to party. And so we've done this series called March Madness. Um, and so when you walk out, there's three different bounce houses out there. Um, food truck, dadgum, good barbecue. You know it's got to be good if they literally brand themselves with the word dadgum, okay? Um, and it's, that's free. It's taken care of because we have generous people in this church. So, look, you can go out there. They did a limited menu, which is just going to help get people through the line quicker. But I believe there's pulled chicken sandwiches and pulled pork sandwiches, then all their sides. Um, and so, and then I think they have drinks there as well as we have a cooler with water. Hang out. Let's hang out, get to know somebody. Like our church, one of, our, one of the statements around Voyage Church is we want to do family really, really well. And then we want to change the world with our friends. Well, look, when everybody's leaving, I can't make no friends, okay? So uh, I'm not interested in holding a microphone, talking to a bunch of people, and then going home lonely, all right? And I mean, I love my wife, and she loves me, but you know what I mean. So we're really excited just to hang out with you guys. Um, you know, we've got the bounce houses, uh, and look, we got liability insurance, and the bounce house people got liability, and everybody's covered, all right? I know some people are like, it's sketched out, because we mean the elementary school. Some lady said, well... It's just hard for me to think it's a real church um, if it meets in a school. I was like, you need to fix your theology. The church was never a building anyways. It's always been people. Jesus ain't had no place to lay his head. Anyways, um, maybe she'll come one day in Jesus' name. But I didn't tell her that, I promise. I was like, oh, I understand. It's so nice. Because um, we're just eight weeks in. We're, just, we're still trying to figure things out. But we're excited. A couple announcements. First one, be in the after party, hang out with us. Second one is this, um, as I've said many times, and I'll probably talk about it forever, because number one, I don't like the fact that I'm getting old. I'll be 34 in like two months. Um, And I know some people in the church are like, that's not even old. I'm like, look, bro, I started youth ministry when I was 23. When a teenager looked at me one day and said, yes, sir, I was like, oh, God, why is he saying that? I realized I wasn't a 23-year-old youth pastor anymore. I was a 31-year-old youth pastor. And then all these 23-year-old guys and girls started coming to me and my wife asking for advice for youth ministry. I was like, great. We're like the godfathers of youth ministry now. We're the old youth pastors in the room. Um, and so uh, for me, um, <laughs> when, uh, when, when it comes to being a pastor, I cannot not focus on the next generation. I just can't. Gave over a decade of my life, my wife and I, watching young people. Honestly, half of the worship team you saw up here are all people who packed their families up and moved to this city with us um, six months ago. They were all in youth and young adult ministry with us and just watching God, and they quit their jobs, moved six hours away to be a part of this thing. This thing exists because of youth ministry, this church. So 
This summer, we are taking youth 6th through 12th grade to Destiny Youth Camp in Tennessee. It's going to be absolutely incredible. Um, and we've already had, I've got like three or four different people who've already paid the way for kids to go. It's $300 per student. 250 of that is for camp. It covers whitewater rafting, zip lining, you know, all their food for the week. But then the other 50 is going to be the transportation that we'll use to get our students there. Um, and we've already got people in Voyage Church who are going to go and chaperone because, um, I feel like the Lord is playing a joke on me because I can't go to camp because our twins are going to be born like the same week. And so it's not really fair, but I guess I need to be here for that, you know. Um, Shauna says it's probably not a good idea for her to go whitewater rafting when she's like 38 weeks pregnant or whatever. So anyways. Um, but I'm really, really excited for camp. And so if you have a sixth grader, seventh, all the way through 12th, man, get them signed up. And don't let money be an issue. Like I said, there's already three, four people who said, hey, there's four spots covered. Just find a kid that's willing to go. Um, and I'm really excited about that. So youth camp is happening. And then the last announcement before I open up the word is this. Um, Good Friday and Easter. So we have Good Friday service in this room at 7 p.m. And I'm telling you, you want to be there. Invite people. We'll have extra chairs. We're going to figure out how to kind of like extend the room a little bit. Um, I just believe it's going to be a powerful night in the presence of God, but also just being reminded of what Friday was. While the, the episode and the moment that happened doesn't look good, it was for our good right? And I mean, I'm reminded of the scripture in, with, with the life of Joseph when he says to his brothers, what, you, what the enemy and what you meant for evil, God turned around for my good. The enemy was excited that Jesus breathed his last on Good Friday, but Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming, and it's for our good. And so, man, be here that night, invite somebody, and then two services on Easter morning. We're super excited about those, and I just believe God's going to do something special because we're just getting started. Amen? All right, well, let me pray, and then we're going to jump in to week four of March Madness. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're the teacher of the word. You lead and guide in all truth. Teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 4.17, there's this interesting uh, statement about God. It says that uh, it's talking about Jacob, and it says, God is the God who speaks the things that are not as though they are. Um, and you could go into a little bit uh, maybe... Uh, translation that makes a little more sense. It says that God will speak things that don't exist as if they exist when they don't. Like God will just, it doesn't have to be there and God just talks about it and speaks it like it is. We went to the pool the other day. Our neighborhood has a pool that we can go to and um, look y'all, it's still, it's still too cold to swim in a pool if it's not heated. It just is. My wife and my daughter don't care because they're faith people. And so they're like, no, it's summertime. It's here. So bathing suits, here we go. I'm in sweats and a flannel. Our, our one-and-a-half-year-old is trying to, like, dive off the end. So I'm sitting next to the pool holding him by his shirt, and he's just, like, playing in water. My daughter is in this, like, I don't know. It's got to be it's got to be 70 degrees. I don't know. It's freezing, okay? She's in this pool, and she, she's in, and she, like, she kind of gets to here, and she's like, oh, this is warm. This is warm. I love this. This is great. I love being here. This is warm. And I just started laughing because my title and my message uh, as we're in March Madness is it's madness not to trust God with your words. And I was like, this girl's just speaking the things that are not as though they are because we know dang well it is, it is daggum cold in that pool. And then she, sure enough, my wife was like, why don't you jump in? And she, she's like, okay. She stands up. She's like shaking. and gets, She gets to the edge. She jumps in all the way, you know, comes out. She's like, I love this. This is so warm. And I was like, oh, my goodness, if some Christians could get some faith like that and just sit. And some people are like, you're in denial. And I'll tell you this, what I've learned about faith. Faith is not denial. When you begin to speak something that doesn't exist, we were praying healing over someone earlier. What, what, what faith does is faith thanks God for something that you know he can bring, 
But we understand that it's not our responsibility to make those things happen. It's God's. So if it doesn't happen, what you're praying for doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that your faith's bad. It doesn't mean that God doesn't hear. Sometimes, I read a quote yesterday, sometimes faith has growing pains. And sometimes God's just growing your endurance, growing your perseverance, to trust him more, to trust him a little longer, right? And so when she was in the pool yesterday, I just started thinking to myself, the power of words, the power of words. And that's what I want to talk about today. As I said earlier, week one, we started talking about our souls. I would encourage you to take notes today because I have notes and I'm preaching it and I won't be able to remember it. And if I'm the one preaching it, you dang sure won't remember it. And the ones that take notes are the ones that God promotes. That's a little preacher saying for you. But here's the thing, how this ties week one about our soul to words. The words we speak are a spiritual gauge showing how much of our souls are actually surrendered to God. Think about that. Our words are a spiritual gauge of how surrendered our souls are to God. I'm not talking about your words when you're at church. Well, bless you, brother. Good to be here. Look, y'all, we meet in a middle school. Like, there's probably jacked up people. Let's just, just be jacked up. Okay, it's fine. Like, we don't have to impress nobody. But you know, people, it's like, you, you, I mean, I can remember growing up, going to church, and like, mom and dad at it, and like, me and my sister getting yelled at, and we get in the car, we put a smile on their face. It's like, man, I wonder how many times we offended God by showing up in the building the way we didn't look in the car, and he's like, I saw you both times. Because the Bible says that a broken and contrite heart, God doesn't despise. So I wonder what he despises. Maybe someone who covers one up. And so our words are a spiritual gauge of how surrendered we are to God. If our souls are not in submission to God, and if we haven't surrendered everything to him, guess what? Our tongues will be the first thing to sell us out. Yeah. You want me to say that again? If you're not fully surrendered to God, the first thing to sell you out will be your words. And this is not for people to judge you. This is a spiritual gauge for us to say, how surrendered am I really to God? The Bible tells us, who knows the heart of a man except for the man himself? And that's for women too. But you truly know the condition of your heart. You know what's going on. And so I want to show you the power of words because everything that we see and, and exist is because of words. Starting in Genesis chapter 1, I want you to see what God did with words. I'm going to move quick because we have a lot of scripture today. And, um, but again, you know what we say around here if you've been here. If, you're, if your neighbor falls asleep, just Judy chop him in the throat, okay? Here we go. Um, Genesis chapter 1, starting in, uh, yeah, starting in verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. Then God thought, no, then God said. Then God said, he spoke, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called, he didn't think, he called the light day and the darkness night. I want you to understand that when it comes to words, that if words worked for God, then they worked for us. God will, like anything you see principle, and here's what's cool about the principle, it's a call and response. Theologically, we would call this as when we see in the New Testament when Jesus says, ask and you shall receive. This is the call and response, and it's the principle that began in the very beginning that God said, and it was. God said, and it was. Look at Genesis 1, um, starting in verse 6. Then God said, let there be space between the waters to separate the waters from the heavens and the waters of the earth. He said, verse 9, then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so the dry, uh, dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. Why? Because he said it. He spoke it. Genesis 1:14. then God said, let light appears in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. In Genesis 1:20, then God said, let the waters swarm with fish 
um, and, and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. 124, then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind. 126, then God said, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. And verse 28, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Look, y'all know we take that serious. We better have twins, y'all. God gives me a command. I'm going to do it. Then God said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Words create. Words create. There's a saying I used to tell teenagers all the time. Hey, show me your five closest friends, and I'll show you your future. Show me the five people you surround yourself around, and I'll show you where you'll be in five years. But I also believe it's very true. Let me hang around you, and let me spend time hearing your words, and I can tell you your future. Because your words will create the world that you live in. I don't mean the world like God already created that one, but your respective world, right? The one that's just your life. Your words will create what you live in. And um, side note, just for the ladies up in here, I just want you to know God spoke everything into existence, but not you. And that's not because you don't matter. It actually is because he cares, and I believe that women carry something, and I don't know what kind of church you grew up in, but um, this is not like like men are this like superior, better. No, there are some responsibilities and roles that men have, but women do too. Very significant, so much so that Adam, he just made Adam from dirt. He just made him from dirt, right? And he just, he, he spoke, but for women, he actually pulled a rib out of Adam, and it says he fashioned with his own hands. Like there was an intentionality by God. And so ladies, you can just leave service today and be like, yeah, look, God, God knows everything about me. He cared about me a little bit more than you, honey. It's fine. Just, just, just drive. Okay. So there's a couple scriptures, Matthew chapter eight. I don't have these on the screen. Math, uh, in Matthew eight and in John 11, there's these moments where this one guy sees Jesus and he says, um, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to, to come to my house and heal my servant. I believe that he'll be healed. Will you just say the word? And the Bible actually says Jesus is only surprised by faith twice in the Bible. He's surprised by great faith and a lack of faith. Only two times he's ever surprised by faith. Well, the great faith was this guy who was not a Jew. He was a Roman centurion. So he wasn't a Jew. And Jesus actually responds and says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Because he says, actually, Jesus, I'm not worthy for you to come in my house. Just say the word. And Jesus turns to a bunch of Jews and says, y'all ain't even got it like this guy. Why? Because he really believed the power of the word of Jesus. That he could say it and he could be at a distance from it. And yet when, he, when, the, when the Roman soldier got there, it happened. It happened. And that's what I want you to understand. The spoken word of God can bring healing. It can bring peace, deliverance to our lives. Every time we open our mouths to talk. We either advance the kingdom of life or we advance the kingdom of death. Luke 6.44 says this, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. What I believe that God wants to do with our church, and I believe in, in these days, I mean, if you have um, halfway looked at the news, it's a little cray-cray. And I know last year we would have said the same thing. Well, that's because I want you to understand it's just going to keep getting worse. There's actually a scripture where Jesus says, he says, in the last days, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. He said, nation's going to go against nation. And then he says, and the end is not yet going to come. 
He says, this is just the beginning of the birthing pains. And then he says, we'll be persecuted, we'll be arrested. I don't know if y'all ready, but like I'm ready. Like whether they allow us in the school building to meet like this or whether we got to load up in my living room. Y'all just know, Voyage Church, we are going after Jesus. They can say what they want to say. They can do what they want to do. Look, there is only one government that's going to last, and it's the government of the kingdom of God. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and of his government and of his peace there will be no end. And so Jesus says, look, it's going to get crazy. It's going to get crazier in this life. And so it, it talks about a good person producing good things and an evil person producing evil things. And I just want you to know it's easier for bad things to come out of you when bad things are around you. Or we could say it this way. It's easier for bad things to come out of you if you focus on the bad things around you because it will always exist. But there is God's goodness. There is God's faithfulness, right? It, it, it is there. And we can look to him and set our hearts on him, and what flows from our heart will be what we set our heart on, and that's going to come out of our mouth. What is in our hearts determines what we think. The way we think affects our words, and our words determine decisions, dreams, and destinies. I want you to think about that. What's your dream? What's your dream? What do you believe God's destiny is for your life? I promise you that your words will impact what is ahead of you. Research shows this. I didn't break this up to men and women because I didn't want to create a fight. But the average person speaks at least 7,000 words a day, many speaking more than that, just the average person. Not male, not female, the average person, okay? And 100%, if you went to my wife and gave some statistic about women talking more than men, she, was like, she would say, you're not married to John. Um, and so that just wouldn't be true in our marriage. But think about that. Those 7,000 words you speak each day are your imprint on the world. They dictate how people perceive you, and largely, they'll define you. What we're saying will define us. And so here's kind of the, the theme scripture for all of this. Are you ready? Proverbs 18, 20, 20, or Proverbs 18, 20 through 21. Write, uh, write that scripture down if you don't write anything else down today. Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. Verse 21, the tongue can bring death or life, and those who love to talk will reap the consequences. I used to read that scripture and think like, crud, I like to talk. I kind of talk for a living. So if I love to talk, it's bad. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say it's bad to talk. It just says if you love to talk, you'll reap the consequences. Now here is the scary part. Unfortunately, Solomon, when he wrote that, one of the wisest men to ever live, did not say, hey, there's life and death in the power of your tongue. And if you're just kind of bored today, or it's just been a lazy day, and like maybe you're not really thinking too much on God, like there's also just some words that really are just kind of neutral. No, there's none of that. Your words will either do life or death. Only two options we get. This is why it says, the Bible says we'll be held accountable for every idle word we speak. Whew, I'm going to be in front of Jesus for a little bit, y'all. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. I've said some things I ain't got no business saying. Talked about some things I got no business talking about. Um, and then look at, uh, in the message version, I like how it puts 1821 words kill and words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. I love that. The, the message is not actual translation. It's a transliteration. And it's when they took the original language and they put it as if it was just someone talking. 
Um, so it's not the greatest version to study out of. For me, I'm going to go to a New American Standard, which is the most accurate Hebrew to English and Greek to English, and that's my responsibility. But I think it's every responsibility as a Christian, and you live in 2022, and you can download blueletterbible.org, and you can look up every verse in its original language. I encourage you to do so. Um, and if you get confused, email us, connect at thevoyage.church, and I'll send it to Jonathan. Um, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. And look at um, Proverbs 15, 1 through 4. A gentle answer deflects anger, but a harsh word makes tempers flare. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both evil and the good. Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Again, there's no middle ground. It's life or death when it comes to our words. Many times we can forget that the Bible tells us that we're going to be held accountable for these words. And I don't know if you grew up in church, but I grew up in church. And growing up in church, like, we're like, don't gossip. And then we have, like, prayer moments. Like, hey, could you pray for so-and-so? And you share everything they're going through. Now, I don't know if I'm supposed to know that. I think you could have just said pray for them. You know? I don't know if y'all grew up in a church that did this unspoken. I don't know if anybody ever did that in church. We used to do that in church. Unspoken. Because <laughs> my mom and dad are crazy. <laughs> And mom will kill me if this gets out. Anyways, we'll, we'll call prayer requests. We'll call it prayer requests, but it'll turn into gossip. Um, there's something I learned in leadership years ago, and I, I should have put this one on the screen, and I don't remember if I did, Josh, but if not, someone will ask for it later. Because this literally changed. Uh, we were, I was a pastor in Louisiana, and I heard this at a conference. And it changed even the way I talk about things. Um, and this is going to sound like maybe a little harsh. Just know I'm not trying to be harsh, okay? This is a leadership principle. And sometimes leadership principles are a little strong because trying to sharpen leaders, okay? But here it is. If you didn't see it with your little eyes or hear it with your little ears, then don't reinvent it with your little mind and speak it with your big mouth. Every time I've ever shared that quote, the room goes, goo, 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 goo. people are just getting like hit. But it's so true because I'm guilty. I'm guilty of just hearing a little bit of something that I wasn't there. I wasn't a part of it. And then I reinvent this whole thing. And then I just start talking to people. No business, not my business. But, you know, it's really easy for us to focus on other people's business when we don't want God in our business because we don't want to be transformed and we don't want to change the way we're living and change our words. And God's not wanting to change the way you're living and change your words because he's, like, wanting to control you. He knows that your best life is tied to the best words coming out of your life. That, that is God's heart. You know, when I think as a parent, and so if you're a parent in the room, I want to talk for a second because this can get a little uncomfortable. Because, um, you know, you're going to have some people that are maybe going to be a little bit harsher as parents. Other people are going to be a little bit lighter. Um, look, I just grew up, I, and my dad will probably listen to this, and dad, I love you. My dad was just, he was a more harsh person, okay? But I will tell you this. As I watched my dad grow in the Lord, I'll never forget, I was 20, I think I was 27, I was moving to Jacksonville, Florida to take over a youth ministry. And we were coming over this big bridge. My dad was with me in the U-Haul because we were moving all of our stuff. And I'll never forget my dad beginning to apologize to me for things that he said. And again, my dad loved the Lord. He served the church. But just moments of anger where he was harsh and he said things. And I'll never forget all the words that might have been spoken that might have done, that like really crushed me. See, even though there was crushing words, the way he was apologizing and recognizing lifted all of that. 
And, and I never thought that when my dad used harsh words, he didn't love me. Sometimes it was just difficult to try to carry out what I knew he expected of me because I felt this like crushing weight. And so I, I want to be very clear as parents, we, we have to discipline. Um, we, we have to we have to speak to our children and let them know right from wrong, right? You don't, have to, you don't have to go up to your three-year-old and say, hey, buddy, let me teach you how to lie. No, they're going to figure that out. It's called sin nature, okay? They're going to do it on their own. But I do want to say as parents, and this is something my wife is so good at, and some people will think like, oh, that's just because someone is like, they're a little kinder or this. No, no, no. The spirit of God is kindness. This is not, you cannot go, oh, that's just because it's their personality. Look, you get to keep your personality when you surrender to God. You don't lose your individuality, but you lose your independence. We lose our independence when we surrender to God. You can keep your individuality and your personality and all of those things. But I'm telling you that the next generation, do you want to know how many young people I've spent time with? And do you want to know what the major issue? Yes, there were kids who were taken advantage of and had abuse, but most children, most kids that I've spent time with in small groups where they're breaking down and weeping is because of words that were spoken over their life. Not just something that was said, but the way it, the way it was said. I know for me, Summer Kate, our six-year-old, I started saying some things and doing some things, kind of what just came natural to my flesh when she was old enough to really understand. And probably about her third and fourth year, like I confess as a dad, and I remember having a night where I was on my knees in the bathroom, weeping asking for my five-year-old's forgiveness because I was saying stuff so harsh. If she would spill a drink, I would just like roll my eyes and get so angry. <sighs> and like I wasn't even really speaking words, but whatever was in my heart is what was flowing out. And I'll never forget when I watched her do something. That was a complete accident. It, something fell in the bathroom, and I watched her crumble before I ever said a word. I had not even said a word yet, but because I had been saying words, that were harsh and did not have, were not laced with the spirit of God, I just broke. I had to get in her face and I had to hold her face and look her in the eyes and say, I am sorry because the way that you just responded is fear. And God gives us not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And the response to God should never be fear. My daughter was responding quickly in fear to her earthly father. And I knew, do you want to know why it's so important with the words we speak to our children? Because it's giving our children a picture of God. Whether I'm telling you the majority of people who struggle with, the, with an idea of God is because they had a difficult issue with, with their parents as a child. And so I'm telling you, our word, like, look at the scriptures. Don't take what I'm saying. Take what the scripture says. A gentle answer deflects anger. A harsh word makes tempers flare. And look, this is not going to be done. You, this is why, like, my wife is one of the strongest people I know because she lives so consistent in this. And that's where I see this crazy strength because, look, self-control. I mean, the Bible tells us in the book of James that it is so hard to tame the tongue. It is the most wild thing, or like our whole body, like if we could, it, the Bible literally says in James, if you could tame your tongue, you could control your entire body. Think about that. Every sin you've ever struggled with, stuff that you should not have been doing, stuff you should not have been dabbling in, if you could control your tongue, you could actually stay away from it. That principle is wild. Remember, there's two options, life or death, life or death. And I'll say this too. If you're just a person who speaks harsh words, love you, but you're going to be miserable to be around. You just are. People are going to be like, yeah, I just don't, I'm not better when I'm around them, right? And that's why one of the, our values here at Voyage Church, we talk with our team often. Like, I challenge our team. I'll send a text out. Sometimes they don't even respond. And I'm like, hey, encourage somebody. Encourage somebody. Encourage somebody. Because we say something around here. When we started this church, we ain't had a lot of money. You don't need a budget for encouragement. You can give out as much as you're willing to. 
You know what's crazy when you encourage? You end up leaving encouraged. And that's the principle of sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. I got to go fast. Um, Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 11. Now, I want, this is really important. I'm reading this out of the message version because the transliteration, the way it says it, is I want you to get this truth. I want to get this truth across. Your words and my words have assignment. Remember, there is no just like, oh, it didn't have any meaning. Look at Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. Again, I'm reading out of the message, but go read it in the NIV, NASB, NLT, New King James Version, King James Version, if you do Romeo and Juliet like that. I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work, God's decree. For as the sky soars high above the earth, so the way I work surpasses, surpasses the way you work. The way I think is beyond the way you think. Just as rain and snow descend from the skies and don't go back until they've watered the earth, doing their work of making things grow and blossom, producing seed for the farmers and food for the hungry, so will the words that come out of my mouth, says the Lord. They will not come back empty-handed. Look at this. They'll do the work I sent them to do. They'll complete the assignment that I gave them. What assignment are you giving your words? What assignment are you giving your words? The things that you speak, the way that you speak at work, the way that you talk about a boss when they walk up out the room. Uh-oh, you know what I mean? What assignment are you giving your words? Because there are things that we complain about that if we spoke with authority and life-giving over, we could actually see the environment shift and change. And I mean, this is scientifically proven. They've literally taken humans to speak negative words over a plant and positive words over a plant. And this has been done for decades. And it shows that the plants that get the life-giving words grow better. You can look this up like this is legit. And it's because words have power. Why would a plant respond to positive words? Well, maybe because a God actually spoke them into existence. Just a thought. James 1, 26, 27, if you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. You know what I find interesting? That when it talks about pure religion, it says widows and orphans. Do you know why I find it so interesting that the verse right before that talks about your tongue? Because I wonder if widows and orphans don't need any harsh words over their lives. I wonder if people in that kind of situation need lifting up. Now, I know we can think of orphan and widow as a very natural thing. But can I tell you that there's a deeper spiritual meaning there? Because when you don't know Jesus, because Jesus is the son of God, and it says when we place our faith in him, he brings us into the family. So when you don't know Jesus, guess what you are spiritually? An orphan. The body of Christ is considered the bride of Christ. Jesus is the groom. God the father, Jesus as the groom, and the church, his bride. There was perfect union with God and people in the garden, yes? Separation by sin. So the bride lost union with the groom. When you're not a Christian, you know what else you could be called? A widow. See, our responsibility as Christians, we better get outside this building and find every single orphan and widow we can find, spiritually and physically. And how are we going to see them lifted up? By the words that we speak. By the words that we speak. And so uh, I'm going to skip down. Josh, I'm not going to do the, the James 3 because I feel like I, I hit that. Um, his word will change our words. And so I'm going to read this uh, last chunk of scripture, and we're going to do something together. Are you ready? Okay, one person. Great. Um, we're in Genesis chapter 3. Going back to Genesis chapter 3, I want you to see what happens with words in the garden with Adam and Eve. The serpent was clever. This is Satan. More clever than any other wild animal God had made. He spoke to the woman. Do you understand that God told you 
Uh, do I understand that God told you not to eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, not at all. We can eat from the trees in the garden. It's only about the tree in the middle of the garden that God, uh, that God said, don't eat from it. Point number one is to notice Eve's doing a good job. When we know the word of God and Satan comes to us, we don't respond to Satan with anything else other than the word of God. Jesus did this in the desert for 40 days. When he got tempted, he always responded with the word to Satan. If using the word to Satan was good enough for Jesus, y'all, it's good enough for us, okay? Eve's, Eve's doing good. She responds. She says, no, actually, God said this. And then uh, verse 2. All right, so the woman's uh, not at all. Uh, verse 3. Then God said, don't eat from it. Don't even touch it or you'll die. Verse 4. The serpent told the woman, you won't die. So the serpent doesn't just take that what she, she combated correctly, but he presses a little bit farther. You won't die. God knows that the moment you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging all the way from good to evil. When the woman saw that the tree looked like, uh, looked like good eating and realized what she would get out of it, she'd know everything. She took and ate the fruit and then gave some to her husband, and he ate. And I love later, you know, y'all, we'll see what happens. Fellas, we always, we always cast in the blame. Verse 7, immediately the, two of them did, uh, immediately the two of them did see what's really going on. Um, they began to see what's going on. They saw themselves naked. They sewed fig leaves, to, uh, fig leaves together to make shift clothes for themselves. Um, and I don't have time, and I've said this before in a message, but um, if you go in the New Testament, Jesus curses a fig tree that had no fruit. And many theologians believe it's because he saw he focused on leaves, fig leaves, and fig leaves reminded him because Jesus is God in the flesh that he reminded, he was reminded that Adam and Eve used fig leaves to cover their shame. And when he saw a fig tree with no fruit and just leaves, he was cursing shame because the gospel is not shame on you, it's shame off of you. But I don't have time to unpack all that. Verse 8, when they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the trees of the garden. They hid from God. God called to the man, where are you? He said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. And God said, who told you that? Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman gave it to me. The woman you gave me as a, a companion, she gave me the fruit. And yes, I ate it. But it was her fault, God. Like, listen, it was her fault. Which in reality, we know the spiritual principle is that, fellas, it's on you. Head of the household, you carry the responsibility to love your wife the way that Christ loves the church. Verse 13, the serpent seduced me. Because then it says, and God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And I love this. You have Adam, and he goes, she did it. And then Eve goes, the snake. And then, and, and I love God because God could have scolded Adam. Are you kidding me, man? No, you're responsible. Eve, are you kidding me? You... You, you spoke my word one time and you couldn't speak it two times. He could have used some harsh language and gone to them, but God will always go to the root of the problem. And it says, verse 14 and 15, God told the serpent, because you've done this, you, you're cursed. Cursed beyond all cattle and wild animals. Cursed to slink on your belly and eat dirt all of your life. I'm declaring war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will wound your head He'll wound your head, and uh, you'll wound his heel. And this is speaking of Jesus. This is the first time the gospel is ever talked about. He's talking about Mary going to give birth to the son, the, the, the Messiah, the one and only who will come, and he will crush the enemy. Jesus will experience a bruising because three days he'll be in the grave. But what happens, y'all? Sunday's coming. What I love about this story is this. The words are so powerful because, see, John 10.10 10 says the enemy comes to steal, kill, destroy. But I love God's response when they're hiding. Who told you that? 
Who told you that? I think about it like a parent. I don't know if you've ever had this with your kids, but your kid learned something. Our daughter learned something at school. She was in a VPK when she was four years old, and some kid was talking about something they had no business talking about, and I don't want my four-year-old knowing about because it's my responsibility to protect her. And I'll never forget when she got into the house, and she was like, Daddy, something weird happened at school today. This girl said this, and I said, who told you that? Boom. I mean, I had the teacher. We were on the phone the next 30 seconds. Like, we're going at it because I'm going to take care of my kids. I love God's response to Adam is, who told you that? Show me where the root problem is. I'm going to go crush that. Because someone used words to deceive you. But my words to come give, are to come give you life and life abundantly. That's why John 10, 10, he comes to steal, kill, destroy, Satan. But Jesus comes to give us life and life abundantly. And so I don't know if you've ever done this before, but when, when words are spoken over you, you'll have to bear with me for a second. Um, Zach, come help me. He knew I was going to do that. It's just going to be quicker this way. Hold this for me. And, and no, we do not want a lapel mic. Someone's going to come up and say, gosh, they get one of those Britney Spears mic. No, we don't want that, okay? Handheld mic all the way, unless the production team says, like, Pastor John, you got to do this. We've all done this where something's been spoken over us. And if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about um, the story where Bartimaeus has this cloak on him. And when Jesus comes by, he throws the cloak off. Because, and we talked about Joseph last week, because, and Joseph had this coat of many colors, and it, got, it gets taken off of him, and then he gets um, his cloak when he's in uh, Potiphar's house, and then Potiphar's wife rips the cloak off. Anytime you see clothing or cloaks in scripture, it always represents identity. And see, here's what happens with words, is words get spoken over us, and, and we put them on like clothes. And someone spoke shame over you when you were a kid. Someone told you, said, a, said something like, I wish you were never born. Why do you act like that? You're so annoying to be around. And, and we, we keep putting these words on. We put them on. And we try to act like, it's all good. I can handle it. It's not going to affect me. Oh, it's getting harder to bend my arms for real. Um, and so we, we put these things on and we wear them. And again, we think like, it's good. I got it. Like, and we, we, we see something on Instagram and we post it and be like, you know, their words can never hurt me. No, words literally formed the earth. It's not sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. No, it's sticks and stones might break your bones, and someone could speak something that will break your future. Like, words are powerful. They last. It's how everything was created. And so we put these things on, and we wear them, and we're like, I'm good. I'm good. But I promise you this. There is no way. This one's a little bigger, a little easier. There is no way on God's green earth that I would even make it through the after party wearing all this. No way. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm not sure if I'm going to take them off or not. I feel like it's going to be a huge ordeal. Let's just get through the rest of the sermon. And it's going to be really uncomfortable. You want to know why? Because I'm wearing stuff I ain't got no business wearing. You've got words spoken over you that you do not need to carry anymore. God breaks that. He destroys those things. His truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. And he doesn't want you to enter into his way carrying and wearing a bunch of lies. See, our identity is to be found in Christ so much so that it actually, the Bible tells us that we are hidden in Christ when we say yes. When we say yes to Jesus, we're hidden in Christ. And so we think, man, I'm still struggling. I'm still messing up. That's okay, because when God looks for John Teal, he'll end up going, ah, I see Jesus. I can only see Jesus because he's hidden in my son. Yep. 
you're approved, you're clean. Yeah, none of those things that were spoken over you last any longer. You're mine, you're loved. I've, I've poured my grace and mercy out on you. I'm for you, I'm not against you. This is the kind of God we serve. And I just think about going every single day. And here's what, actually, Zach, I am going to need you because I forgot about this part and I got to finish, but this is good. Okay, something changed in my life. So I grew up in church and I, and I, I believe the Bible. It took me quite a while before I actually started reading the Bible myself. Um, but then I learned a principle about declaring the word of God over your life. And everything changed because the Bible tells us this. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You'll never believe the word of God more than when you hear yourself say it. You can come listen to whatever preacher you want to listen to. You, look, y'all are in this room. You can get on YouTube and listen to way better preachers than me, okay? But you ain't going to have community, and Jesus didn't die for some YouTube service in your living room, which, wow, that can be great. No, we got to be together as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. But when you begin to speak the word over your life, okay, just, just, just start shucking jackets, okay? Here we go. I don't know. Just start with this arm, and I'll switch as one arm comes out. So I started speaking things over me. Jesus is first in my life. I exist to serve and glorify him. I love my wife, and I lay down my life to serve her. My ch- oh, don't take everything off. My children, my children will love God and serve him with their whole heart. I will nurture, equip, train, and empower them to do more for his kingdom than they can imagine. I love people and believe the best in others. I'm disciplined. I'm, this is my identity. I'm keeping this one on. This one's Jesus. You can sit down. I love people and believe the best about others. I'm disciplined. Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. I'm growing closer to Jesus every day because because of Christ, my family is closer, my body is stronger, my faith is deeper, my leadership is sharper. I'm anointed and empowered and equipped and called to reach people far from God. I'm creative, innovative, driven, focused, blessed beyond measure because the Holy Spirit dwells within me. I develop leaders. That's not something I do. It's who I am. My words, my thoughts, and my imaginations are under the power of Christ, and I take all thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. I wake up with purpose, direction, and meaning every day of my life. Pain is my friend. I rejoice in suffering because Christ suffered for me. I bring my best and then It's what I bring after I do my best that makes the difference. The world will be different today because I serve Jesus. I'm a child of God, Galatians 3. I'm a spiritual contributor, not a consumer. I'm alive, Romans 6. I'm faith-filled, life-speaking, fully devoted follower of Christ. I'm an ambassador, 2 Corinthians 5. I'm a masterpiece, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm content in Christ alone. I'm chosen, Ephesians 1. I'm determined to love God and people with everything I have. I'm a child of God, John chapter 1. I'm strengthened by God who upholds me, protects me, and defends me. I'm joyful. Galatians 5. I'm gentle. Galatians 5. I'm not easily offended and I won't hold on to bitterness. I'm patient. Galatians 5. I'm faithful. Galatians 5. I'm self-controlled. Galatians 5. Someone needs to start reading Galatians 5. I am kind. Galatians 5. I am known even before uh, I was born. Jeremiah 1. I am steady. Psalms 91. I am not alone. God is with me. I am loved. John 3.16. I'm fierce and confidence and boldness because God is with me. I'm free. John 8. I'm healed. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm unashamed. Romans 8. I, I, oh, Lord, I'm getting moving quick. I am called and equipped to go after the righteous desires God puts in my heart. I am strong. I am fearless. I'm secure. I'm not a people pleaser because I answer to God first and I seek to please him. I'm a new creation. I'm not shaken. I'm not stuck in worry because Jesus offers a peace that the world cannot give. I am born again. I am more than a conqueror. I am named by God and not labeled by man. I am the light of the world. I am mighty in his power and I am the church and I exist for the world. You begin to declare the truth of God over your life. And some, some people are like, oh, that's just weird. I promise you, go ahead and get you some scripture and get in the car and start heading to work and just start declaring some things and see if something doesn't happen in your spirit. Stand to your feet with me because you thought I was just going to declare. 
But we're all going to declare one together. I got it on the screen for you. Because I believe there's power in our words. And I want to be very clear today, because I know we probably got people, denominations, all backgrounds, and you hear me getting excited, and you're like, oh, he definitely grew up in this background. You don't even know. Um, and if you want to know what my background is, we can talk about it after, because this is on podcast, and I don't want anybody thinking that I'm saying something negative. I'm grateful for what I grew up in. But I'm grateful that maybe in some, some of the religiosity, Jesus has brought a freedom. And it was just man-made stuff. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you remember? He said, you forsake the words of God for the traditions of your fathers. Jesus said that to the religious. And so I just remember when I read that and I was like, God, I, I'm, I'm thankful for what I grew up in and all of that. But God, if there's a tradition that's holding me back for the freedom you have, I relinquish that for your freedom. And there's a freedom in declaring the word of God over your life. This is not some name it and claim it and everything's blessed and I can have all the money in the world. No, no, no. This is I'm blessed and I'll suffer. Because all I know, I told you scripture earlier, the days are going to get worse, y'all. So the church better get stronger. But I know that when it gets darker, we get brighter. It's just what happens. It's just what happens. And so I want to I declare this together. And so um, I'm going to start. When I say I am, you, you jump in. And this is true about you. You're not saying this to him or to her. You're saying this about you. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Ready? I am blessed with God's supernatural wisdom. I have clear direction for my life. I am blessed with creativity, with courage, with ability, and with abundance. And that's not abundance of money. That could be abundance of wisdom. That could be abundance of everything. It could be abundance of money, and God wants to use you in that way. But God's abundance is bigger than worldly abundance. I am blessed with strong will, self-control, and self-discipline. I am blessed with a great family, good friends, good health, and with faith, favor, and fulfillment. I am blessed with success for his glory, supernatural strength, promotion, and divine protection. I am blessed with an obedient heart and with a positive outlook on life. I declare that any curse that has ever been spoken over me, any negative word that has ever come against me is broken right now. Receive that. I am blessed in the city. I am blessed in the country. Pace and Milton. I am blessed when I go in. I am blessed when I come out. Everything I put my hands to is going to prosper and succeed. I am blessed. You believe it? Because that's the word of God. That's the word of God. Some people are like, wait a second. Everything I touch is going gonna, is gonna to succeed? That's sure enough what he told Joshua. He said, Joshua, everywhere you put your foot, I'm giving to you. Now, this is not for our gain. This is for his glory. It's for his glory. So if God gives you a promotion at work, you better thank God and you better say, God, how do you want to use me? God, I'm just your vessel. What we call it around here, we're just voyage vessels. God, what do you want to do? God, here I am. Use this life. These hands are your hands. This mouth is your mouth. What do you want to do? But I'm telling you today, the word of God spoken over your life. And I want the team to lead us one more time because this is what I'm sensing by the spirit. There's some people in here, you've had some stuff spoken over your life. And these altars are open. And I want you to know that there's something that can happen when you take a moment, just like what you declared and said, God, I break off everything that was spoken over me. I only believe what you say about me. There's also somebody in here. I just really sense the Holy Spirit. There's somebody in here, you're bound up, worried about what other people think all the time. All the time. And if that's you, I, I want to give you a truth. Listen to this. You don't have to worry about what they think when you learn what he says. Their thoughts are not stronger than his words. 
So right now as I pray, if you just want to have a moment with the Lord, just, God, I'm laying these things down. You come to the altar right now. Father, I just thank you in this moment, Jesus. God, there's people, God, who are just going to lay things down. God, people who've had stuff spoken over them by a father, a mother, a brother, a sister. God, that you bring freedom in this moment. God, that you lift weight in this moment. God, as we are surrendered to you and to you alone, in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to check us out on thevoyage.church to stay updated on everything God is doing in our city.